I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. Today we speak to podcaster David Crowther about England and where the blurred line of Britishness begins. Released from his third album, Heart Shaped World, it was released as a single in 1990. It didn't become a hit until it was featured on the David Lynch film, Wild at Heart. I never dream that I love somebody like 
David, we yes. have 40% of Scots wanting to get out of the union. We've had the government, which has just had to bail itself out. Uh, ostensibly, uh, the Conservative Party, which is the, the Conservative Party of England, have to bail itself out to get into power by giving billions to Northern Ireland. Our only friends left are the Welsh. Are we going to see a resurgence of England this century, do you reckon? Are we going to become a nation state again? I think one of the problems for England, of course, and the English is uh, that we've tied so much of our um, identity up in Britain. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. As I drive around, I see much more of the English flag. uh, And the English flag has always been a bit of a worry to me that it became associated with very right wing type groups and politics, which is, you know, a real shame. This is a, you know, it's not a scientific survey, but the presence of more flags indicates that actually the English are more worried about defining who they are and what their identity is. So are we going to see a resurgence of England? Possibly, but England needs to decide who it is and what it is. And is it uh, Britain or is it something else? I remember it was the 1996 uh, Euro Championships was the first time you ever saw the Cross of St. George at an England football match. It was always used to be the Union Jack. Yeah beforehand and you're completely right um the identity of britain and england has been incredibly confused because as a constituent part of britain england is so big in terms of population isn't it it's about 85 percent or approximately anyway so and then and and you go abroad and the two things are synonymous people talk about england and they mean britain and britain when they mean england and it's interchangeable in a way that the soviet union was with russia Yes, I think that's true. From that '96, that was the one where Gaza should have cut, shouldn't have cut his toenails, wasn't it? <laughs> that was that yeah. one. The, one, the wondrous goal against the Scots. Yeah, I love that that European Cup because, as you say, actually, it was the first time when people got the flag out. It was just about supporting the English team. Mm. It was about some hideous right wing politics and race hatred sort of thing. I thought the Scottish referendum debate a couple of years ago was absolutely fascinating. Two really interesting things, I thought. One was a bloke in Slough who said, look, I don't believe in borders. Borders create conflict. And I thought, you're absolutely right. And I can give you a couple of great historical examples in Britain, mm-hmm. Britain's history to illustrate that. But there was one small section of the Scots who were, you know, either you... You're either a patriot of Scots who wants to be separate, wants independence, or you're not really Scottish. And somebody saying, look, it is perfectly possible to believe in union and be a a patriotic Scot. You know, I don't really care, actually, whether Britain remains Britain. I don't feel there is an idea about Britain anymore. It used to be. It used to be the empire. A a brief period in our history Mm -hmm. where actually there was something everybody in the empire could identify, everybody in Britain, sorry, could identify with together. I don't think that's the case anymore. Scots don't love the English. The Welsh don't love the English. Or this is my feeling as an Englishman. They're making a, you know, I think in the independence referendum, they made a, you know, a sensible decision. I I think, I don't know if I quite agree. I'm not saying I don't agree. You're an no, 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 no. I, I, it's my podcast. I'm, I'm allowed. I am allowed to disagree, but I don't know if I am. But what I do think, I spoke to somebody who was uh, passionate for Scotland to become independent. Yeah, she was so pro. Um, yes. Yeah. And I said, when you go to Paris, is it abroad? She said yes. When you go to New York, is it abroad? She says yes. When you go to London, are you abroad? She said no. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And I said, therein lies the reason why I don't think we're all quite ready for a divorce yet. When I go to Glasgow in Scotland, 
it's a bit different from England because the Saltair is flying. Physical business architecture, it's the same banks. It's the Abbey, I was going to say Abbey National, I'm showing my age. It's the Santander, it's, you know, (laughs) it's, it's Greg's. It feels familiar. But aren't these, aren't these functional technical things? You know, where is the heart in this? And I think I agree with what you're saying. But that feeling of passion, I mean, what is uh, what is it to feel like a nation? Uh, but one of them surely is, it, surely, and I would argue that it's mainly cultural. It's got nothing to do with biology, genetics or any of that no, stuff. I, and, and that's really the point that I'm making about what physically when you go somewhere, can you function without feeling like, oh, this, this is odd? Of which sharing a language is actually a massive part of it. Yeah, so if we have, if you draw cultural concentric circles... Um, as somebody who is British or English, when we go to Australia or North America, they feel different, but also feel slightly familiar. And because it, it, it's not just a language thing, but the language is part of it. But then it's kind of cultural norms, isn't it? That you kind of get these people and, and they kind of get you. And these kind of concentric cultural circles kind of move out. Yes. And, and, it's, and it's hard not to be a student of history and, and to a travel to realise the massive impact that England has actually had, had on the world. The world, you could argue, is a modern construct in terms of the way that nation-states are constructed and governed, is even if their system of governance isn't directly built from the Parliament of Westminster, mm. it, it's a certain English forward slash British kind of construct. There's a really interesting book I read some, t- some time mm. ago whose name I completely forget and I really should have researched this before I start start this this conversation but it showed you uh, the aspects of Englishness and how they've been adopted around the world and one of the foremost things was was the suit yes you know a shirt a shirt and tie English or British concert well Uh, I, I, I think it said it was English yeah. And, and it was derived not exactly from Beau Brummel, but but the whole point was the way that Victorian men in London dressed and men in power, whether they were in the city or in Parliament, that that became adopted by men throughout the world. So you could look at somewhere like, like Japan, uh, which has got a completely different sartorial yes. history. But now the Prime Minister of Japan dresses in a two-piece suit and a shirt and tie, which is a direct uh, descendant of the way that Victorian English men in London dressed. You know, and, yes. but, but it's been adopted all around the world. And it was just a very powerful example of English soft power and cultural dominance away from talking about the empire. Yeah, so it is interesting. My guess England happened to have an influence... Uh, well, actually, specifically, Britain um, had an influence at a particular, particularly extraordinary moment in time, didn't it? Absolutely. When, when the world was ready to go global, when technology was catching up, you know, there have been many uh, empires and uh, much cultural influence before and all the rest of it, you know, China and um, uh, in, in the Asia Pacific and so on. Yeah, all the um, Romans could give us was aqueducts and Latin. But and the- nettles. You know, because they they were pre pre industrial. Another thing which the English have really been at the forefront of is popular music. We're probably the second most important nation in terms of global popular music. Mm. But many of our musical uh, popular musical forms have actually been harnessed actually in the UK, and one of them um, borrowed from 
from America. It was obviously rock stroke heavy rock. You've mm. decided to go for um, one of the foremost exponents of that genre of music, Led Zeppelin, as your piece of music. Tell us about your love of Led Zepp. Well, could I just uh, start um, by formally apologising for choosing Led Zepp? <laughs> oh, I realise that's no, no, no. People know on this podcast that when it comes to heavy metal per se, I have absolutely no love for the genre. I, I yeah. say it frequently. Uh, but but you have picked the acceptable face of that genre of music. And dare I say it, they're kind of heavy rock anyway. So, yeah. I read a parenting book once. Um, had to, <laughs> I had to keep telling the children to shush while I read it. but And it told me that labelling is disabling. Uh, Royfield. Personally, um, I think that labelling is enabling, but uh-huh. you can't label Led Zeppelin's heavy rock, surely. Okay. Yeah, there's rock. a much greater range of music in Prog Led rock. But, Prog but, rock. But, but anyway, you're going to blow me out the water with, with this piece of music anyway, because okay, it is right. rock-like not at all. So the story behind the uh, this piece of music, uh, Bronny Orr, is four blokes, all brilliant musicians, went to a small Welsh cottage and they just did their thing. A lot of those things probably illegal, but a lot of it was just about making music. John Henry Bonham was a fantastic drummer. Jimmy Page's voice is just astounding. Uh, and uh, Sorry, Robert Plant's voice is just astounding. Jimmy Page's ability, quite sure about John Paul Jones, kind of a forgotten uh, zepper, but they're just brilliant. And also I love the thing about getting away, going into the middle of nowhere. And I love the thought of these guys going and doing this. I love the image of Jimmy sitting on the uh, Welsh um, mountainside and writing this piece of music. David, you uh, professed um, your well. You displayed your lack of, mu- of breadth of musical appreciation by saying um, it was either going to be Led Zeppelin or Saxon or Motorhead. <laughs> right? Um, why is this genre of music so important to you? Why have you not been able to stray from its bounds? Well, I'd like to defend myself a little bit. I mean, you know, I have listened to uh, 
uh, other piece of music. But you know, once you've listened to Saxon, you know, music surely is dead. You know, <laughs> how can you move on? From because because they killed the form. They, they killed the form, did they? <laughs> no, I, well, I, if you remember, I did suggest Judas Priest. I mean, surely the answer. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I think the only thing I can't get on with actually is jazz. I think that is the only genre that just means says nothing to me whatsoever. But actually, um, my problem is I'm not very informed about music, so I just listen to what you know to what I enjoy. And Led Zepp's one of the few groups actually I could talk about. But I think I've always been into the heavies, Roy Field. So it's Beethoven or Led Zepp. You know, it's, uh, it's Mendelssohn. It's you know big big sounds. It's um, bit of Wagner. It's energy, that sort of thing. Brahms and all the rest of it. So I'd claim a slightly wider musical taste than you're hanging on me. But in the end, doesn't it come back to our teenage years? You know, when we form a lot of our opinions. And in the 70s, there was just some fantastic music. You go back to the Bay City Rollers. Well, not quite that far, but I do rather like the Bay City Rollers, though. What? I mean, they come on. They had some good tunes, the lads. (laughs) (laughs) You know know what, David? At the end of this interview, I'm going to say bye-bye, baby, baby, (laughs) bye-bye. Baby, bye-bye. What a great... Come on, tell me that's not a great song. (laughs) <laughs> we, we need to talk about England and, and not... They're from Glasgow, weren't they? Yes, the Bay City. Yeah. Bay, yeah. You do a podcast, which is incredibly popular. Yeah. Is it by accident... You know it is. Is it by accident that you do one of the biggest history podcasts out there? Is it popular because it is about England? Everybody the world over is fascinated about our country. What do you reckon? What I've always been very conscious of, without wanting to be over-self-deprecating, which is a bit of a curse, is... Um, that I'm just a bloke in a shed. I mean, I'm generally just a bloke in a shed. And I try to make sure the history is good. You know, I work hard at it. But I'm not, you know, a David Starkey or, a, um, uh, you know, a Tracy Borman or a Lucy Worsley. People have, you know... You've not got a lisp. No, <laughs> I haven't got a lisp, that's true. I'm not good looking. Um, have you got the pe- you know, pecs of a Dan Snow? I, uh, oh, don't talk to me about that. Anyway, um, I don't have a jaw that is square. It's slightly <laughs> unfortunately. Anyway, my point is, I'm not a, uh, I'm not an academic uh, professional historian. My point is, are people interested in the content, or are they interested in the personality? And I think the nice thing about podcasts is that it's a bit of both. Mm-hmm. The content's got to be good. The subject's got to be interesting. And I think, therefore, people are interested about England. I think you're absolutely right. I think some people are quite bored about it as well, actually. I suspect people don't stay for the content often. I suspect that what people stay for is a voice that they like. And I know that far more people have stopped listening to my podcast than continue to listen to it, actually. Because, you know, you just get bored of the same voice. So I think it's about both. But I think England, is a, as a topic, is one that will draw people in. I think you're absolutely right. And where are you going to go with this, Mr. C? Because you're, so we're on Henry VIII now. Um, we are, Yep. Are you going to switch it off when we get to the the death of Queen Victoria? I don't think I will. I don't think I will anymore. I think I'll go on and do the First World War and Second World War. And maybe I should stop with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> That's got to be a great idea. I, I, My I, podcast can die with John Henry. I don't know about that. Maybe you could end with the debacle at Suez because isn't that the retreat? Yes. Might be a good one, yeah. The you know, the the absolute full stop of empire and and true military global influence. That would, that would suggest, Royfield, that England was about empire. And that, I think that's the thing that get people get bored of. Actually, I saw um, a comment somewhere on the interweb saying, "Oh, oh my goodie, aren't we going on about the empire again?" You know, for most of its history, England. Mm-hmm. 
a small damp island off the off the coast of the really important place. And actually, in fact, for most of the world's history, Europe has been a uh, an irrelevant backwater. Um, so so let, let's move this forward, right? You could argue, right? And I say this to be somewhat mm-hmm. controversial. So before everybody starts emailing me and saying, you know, how dare you, Royfield, right? But you could argue, yeah, that culturally. Uh, the English have given the Scots quite a lot, i.e. their national language. You know, English is the language of Northern Ireland, English is the language of the Republic of Ireland, and English is the, the language, uh, are, you know, of Wales. Uh, true, but I wouldn't equate purely language with um, with nationhood. Mm. Um, and I would say that there are many... Uh, it's a way of showing a certain amount of hegemony, that's what I'm saying, of which... Um, Economic. So you'd say that England is the cultural hegemon of the United States. I mean, my point is... Historically and culturally, absolutely I would. Well, culturally, surely that, surely that is now the other way. Um, I think it's stretching a point. I call... know, and I'm saying it to be controversial, but I'm trying <laughs> to wrap this thing up. And, 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 you, and you've dragged us well over our allotted uh, 15 I'm minutes. I'm so sorry, God, I, I'd like to formally apologise. Would you like me I to... Did... No, no, no. Don't, don't stop being English. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to determine an appropriate time to end your podcast historically. That's what we're trying to get to. Oh, is that right? That's, so that's the question we're here. And you won't accept Led Zepp? No. David, I've got it for you. What's that? Who was the first British Prime Minister mm. who really was seen as an English Prime Minister post the Second World War? And I will tell you, Margaret Thatcher. The <laughs> yes, rebirth of yeah. English nationalism has its first embers with her, doesn't it? Oh, do you know, I would hate, <laughs> I would hate to you, conceive you that. You end, end on that election of 1979. With her doing a Francis of Assisi speech. Okay. Um, well, there I... you go. Sorted. David Crowther, <laughs> thank you for coming on to Friday 15. You've been a wondrous guest. How can people catch up with your wondrous podcast? So what is it called and where is it? It's called The History of England. You can find it on any um, good sites. Or you can go to my website, which is www.thehistoryofengland.co.uk. Mate, that was brilliant. Well done. Told you it's just going to be totally conversational. It's just it fun, was very. It was. You didn't ask me any terribly hard questions. So oh well, good. I can't because I'm not bright enough to. Bye bye, baby. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sir Sly is an American indie pop band formed and based in Los Angeles. The band is fronted by vocalist Landon Jacobs. Hi is found on the album. Don't worry, honey.
Don't forget, you can follow the show's progress on Facebook, 
by simply typing in Friday 15. You can also find us on Twitter, where you can follow me, where I'm at Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. Now, every Thursday, you can jump onto Twitter and tweet me and nominate a song for me to put into this week's Friday 15 iTunes reviews, folks, are extremely important. They're the lifeblood of any podcast. Please go onto iTunes and write us a, a glowing review. And don't forget, finally, you can email me from Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D, at gmail.com. See you all again in seven days' time for more good music and great conversation. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.